Here we go. Yes, so we're back. What's up, everyone? Nice to see you. It's going to be a horrible show today. Oh, yeah, absolutely full of thrillers and chillers and, well, um, most horrible of all, my very first guest. Yeah, he's the scariest priest you ever did see. Author of creepy crime <laughs> novels and now host of Creepy Cove Community Church Podcast. It's welcome back to Peter Laws. Hey. Um, well, no introduction really necessary for my next guest, known in the colony simply as at Johnny. Um, but I'll do one anyway. He organises our super secret weekly writers' huddles. And as one of the guardians, is a linchpin of our entire writer community. Welcome back. John Duffy. Hi, everyone. Hi. And let's see what you're saying about us. We review you. It's only fair for you to review us. This is from David. Thank you for the opportunity to participate. Learned a lot. Good. Listening to the feedback given to all of the participants and look for ways to incorporate the comments into my manuscript. That's what we try to do. Already changed the working title. Good. Based on the feedback of the participating agents and have already been through the opening pages a few times looking for ways to further enhance my story. That's fantastic. That's very, very good news. That's exactly what we like to hear. Thank you very much. Let's see who is... Remember this uh, last show was the very first show of the month. Yeah, don't ask why, but it worked out like that. Um, it was the first show of the month last week and very tightly contested, as you can see from the leaderboard there, ahead by just two points at the moment for this month. Olivia Rana's compelling YA story exploring identity, loss and forgiveness through a family's encounter with a faith healer. And that's the score. That's the score, 69, that this week's contestants have to beat. I'm very excited. I wonder if anyone's going to equal or beat Olivia's score. And that is our very first video podcast, um, video seminar podcast from my mind for a moment for reasons you'll find out in a moment. That's our first video seminar. Well worth looking at. I totally, if you're, if you're watching now, if you're an author thinking, how the hell do I saw this blurb out? Watch it and you'll find out. Now I've got a very important notice for you. And it went away very quickly very important notice coming up here it is it's about next week's show we've got a very very special guest and dear julia eccleshire absolutely legendary children's well she's been a publisher she's started all kinds of awards served on many awards panels she started the branford bowes award for an outstanding novel for young people oh guardian children's fiction prize the whitbread nestle smartest book prize it goes on and on if you're interested in writing for children or ya you must not miss next week's show. Do come along and ask questions. Let's have a look at our very first submission. This is called Do As I Tell You. Do As I Tell You. Is that a good title? I think it's strong. It's from Jeff. It's a crime thriller. That's our theme today, thrillers and chillers. And this is Jeff's blurb. Her son kidnapped, her house, phones and internet bugged blackmailed into finding hidden papers that belonged to her father-in-law. Julia has one chance to secretly reach out for help. A 10-year-old mobile phone which might 
contact a policewoman who knew her husband at university. DS Sarah Nielsen hates Julia for doing it, but is drawn unwillingly into the investigation that ultimately threatens the lives of her and her baby daughter. All right, let me tell you about Jeff. A family man with two children. I've worked as a tax man. Okay. <laughs> uh, flight dispatcher. Oh, it's getting better. Employment consultant and a diver. Uh, before my calling as an osteopath of 25 years. Brilliant profession, says Jeff. Just not creative artistically. Um, a patient told me a foolproof way to kill someone. It's getting interesting. Um, and get away with it. And I used the idea for a crime novel which won me an agent. The novel was wanted by Quirkus, uh, an editor at Quirkus, that's a very distinguished UK publisher, uh, but fell at the acquisitions meeting, damn it. I share your pain. Happens to everybody. Um, I worked on two further novels, but we parted company after three years. Lockdown made me think about isolation. How would we cope if we have no communication at all? Do as I tell you is the result. And this is a reading by Emily. Do As I Tell You by Jeff Read by Emily Chapter 1 Something was wrong. Charlie should have been waiting for her as she pushed the front door open. He was always there on a Thursday, jumping from foot to foot, chiding her, Come on, Mummy! The house was quiet. It felt cold. Or perhaps that was her body's reaction to something she had no way of understanding at the time. Beryl? She called as she manoeuvred the pram into the hall. Charlie? Nothing woke Lisa after the bout of colic exhausted her, and Julia left the push chair in the kitchen. She paused at the bottom of the stairs and listened. Nothing. Her heart tightened for a second. Come on, Charlie, I'm home. She walked up the stairs to his room, the rhythm of her heart matching the thump of her feet, quickening. His beaver's uniform lay neatly on his bed. Her heart thudded a bit faster. A sound broke the cold silence that was gathering. The War of the World's theme. Da-da-da, da-da-da, the home phone. It must be Beryl. Where were they? Julia ran down to the kitchen to get it. Hello? Hello, Julia. You sound worried, a heavily accented voice said. A man, Spanish-sounding. Who is this? We have your son. What? A beat, a heavy breath. You heard me. You will do exactly as I say. He will be returned to you. I don't. His grandmother has been taken also. You will do what I tell you, or you will not see them again. Who is this? Anger flared in Julia's chest. Okay, I'm calling the police. They'll trace your number and... Mummy? Charlie's voice stopped Julia's heart. She couldn't breathe. Nana? Where's Mummy? Julia gasped, fought to get air into her lungs. A wide steel band of terror wrapped itself around her chest, tightening, holding her rigid, crushing the breath from her. No, not Charlie, not Charlie. Mrs. Barrowfield, you will do as I tell. No, Julia gasped. No, let him go. Charlie, mummy's here. Charlie, Charlie. The phone clicked and went dead. No. The scream woke Lisa, who wailed her own shock loudly. A red-hot flush of pins and needles raced through Julia's body, draining her, and her legs gave way. She staggered against the worktop, grabbed at it, and the phone crashed onto the floor. Oh, God. No, no. She scrabbled to get the phone frantic, pressed it to her ear. The dial tone sounded, 
and she hit the emergency service number. It was answered after one ring. Please help me, she burst out. My son's been... Julia, you will do exactly as I say, the repulsive voice interrupted. Stop shouting if you want your son back. A tidal wave of terror smashed Julia in the stomach, and she jackknifed forwards as the contents of her stomach vomited across the work surface. It punched again and again. Julia fell to her knees retching. Acid-sharp pain lanced through her kneecap, and Julia choked as her inhalation dragged bile back down her throat, burning. The phone spun from her hand and she lunged for the sink, hauling herself up, stabbing at the top. She gulped water, spat the first mouthful out, swallowed the next, and the next, gasping. It's not true, it's not true, not Charlie, please God, not Charlie. A piercing scream ripped Julia out of her paralysis. Lisa! Julia stumbled around the work surface to the pushchair. Oh God! Lisa screamed continuously, her face red and contorted, her fists clenching, legs windmilling. It's okay, baby, it's okay. Julia struggled with the clasp, wet hands trying to lift Lisa. Her tiny body caught in the harness and the pushchair lifted from the floor. Without thinking, Julia shook Lisa and the pushchair dropped back as she came free, snagging her legs. Lisa wailed even louder. Julia kicked the pushchair viciously, sending it across the floor, tipping it over. Sorry, Lisa, sorry, sorry, Julia said, clasping her to her chest. Mummy didn't mean to hurt you, sorry, sorry. She rocked Lisa as she wailed, desperate to gentle her, knowing she was rocking her too fast, unable to calm her own agitation. Please, God, please, let it not be true. Please. And Priscilla, hello, Priscilla on YouTube, uh, likes the description, descriptions of Julia's physical reactions. Good. Uh, let's just see what the genius room is saying right now. Hannah says, who is Lisa? Ed says, heavy accent suddenly became very normal speech. Needed to play on that more. Emily, who uh, gave the reading, so always well worth listening to the narrator. Good opening. Thought it could have been tightened up, especially the dialogue. Too many no's. Um, Annie, opening is something we've seen before. Okay, something we've seen before. Needs something extra to make it stand out. And that's echoed, really, by the next comment on the list from Vagabond Heart. Quite good, but nothing telling me this is new or something I haven't read before. Johnny, does this remind you of anything? It, it does remind me of similar similar stories. It reminded me a little bit of the opening of Adrian McKinty's The Chain. And, yeah, um, I was thinking you know, From the page one... From some page one, somebody got kidnapped. I, I thought it was gripping and I thought it was tense uh, and quite enjoyed it. I did think there was a bit of a disconnect, though, between we don't get a sense of who the, the main protagonist is. It's, it, you know, it seems a very normal scene, with mum coming in with the pram. Um, and, and we're already into, we immediately into sort of heavy sort of, you know, really gripping sort of drama. And for me, there was a little bit of disconnect between of her life and this sort of gravitas of what was happening, you know, it, we could have done with knowing a bit more about her. There's no sense of who she is or where, yeah. why she may be in jeopardy. But but I think, I think the, you know, the actual scene was well portrayed. Um, I think it was well written. The, the, the craft was good. Um, and I would carry on reading it, certainly. But I just felt, for me, I saw a couple of people saying something was missing, and that's exactly what I was thinking. Hmm. Um, what was missing for me was, we're not sure who she is. You know, we're not, why, why would this be happening? Why would such a high-profile you know, big time kidnapping and be happening in a very mundane situation without yeah. much context at the moment. 
Yeah, yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. And that's reflected in your voting, of course. You've given the craft a good old uh, 80% there. Um, yeah. The, the rest, three stars, really. Let's just see what the numbers look like at the moment. But I um, uh, rush to tell you, Jeff, that uh, numbers are coming in right now. Uh, Genius Stream loves the title, actually. Um, okay on the blurb, okay on the craft, okay on the bang, which is, of course, the commercial potential. Um, Peter's just voted. We'll come to Peter in a moment, and you can see what his numbers are there, too. Um, in fact, let's ask Peter now. What was your reaction to that? Well, similar to John, really, that I, th I thought that was actually quite a, a well-written and gripping scenario. And certainly there was a great economy of language where it was like, yeah. boom, 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 like really, really in the, in the moment of that, which is which is very strong. Um, I do agree that there is a kind of a, a lack of sort of empathy for these being actual real characters. And I think mm. maybe for a writer, sometimes they can think, well, look, if I want to start with action, I, have, I, I haven't got space to add long paragraphs describing her background, and but you don't need long paragraphs. It might be just details like she's she's wearing Disney pajamas or something tiny, yeah, which yeah. makes you go, ah, I, I know that person. One thing I did spot was many of the descriptions of her reaction were chest based, <laughs> like it was about her, it was about her heart, it was about her chest, and for a long time it was just like there's a lot going on in this lady's chest. <laughs> um, which, which actually you, you notice, you notice that over and over again, it's the same place. And I thought that that could do with tidying up. But otherwise, I, yeah, I found it pretty intriguing. So, guys, this is a three-way show. It's where we get to talk to each other. You may need to just slightly move yourself into into the front because yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't Ooh. physically reach out and do you from here, much as I'd love to. Um, I just, just um, uh, continuing what what you both said and was um, echoed in the genius room, or possibly um, first launched in the genius room, and that is that. Uh, the characters aren't coming through very strong and therefore I would say I don't really care you know I mean we're bombarded by sort of bad news every day and we're kind of we're kind of used to turning off we don't identify with it anymore you know numbers are just numbers really we've got to get invested in these people we've actually got to, ca got to care that this person's life has just just been violently savagely disrupted mm -hmm. that's easier said than done any any thoughts on how how you do that, Peter, or maybe how other authors do well, it amazingly like well? Well, I, I do think sometimes it can be the tiniest of quirky details, so that she might have just been watching something on TV at the time, yeah. or and, and and you only have to pick a quirky program that she's watching, yeah. um, and it only has to be one sentence that yeah. she she turns off the country music station, you know, and you go, oh, she's into country mm. music, okay, yeah. but yeah. instantly mm. you're just discovering something it doesn't have to be a long long paragraph yeah yeah that's all it takes to get us I, I think that's what the disconnect was there wasn't you didn't feel who julia was really um she was mm. maybe coming from central casting you know with a with a prop and, yeah. and although it was well dramatized it, you, we didn't really feel too much about her and the baby yeah. for that matter that's the thing, Jeff. That's the thing. You've got to get us invested. If we actually do care, if you just sort of reach out and grab us by the heart, then you've got us really, I think, probably for the rest of the book. Let's have a look at the um, uh, Genius Room final comments. Little details, that's what uh, Kate, Kate is praising, Peter. Good advice about using little details to paint a b b bigger picture. Ed says, for me, the title is interesting. Hard to remember. Again, missing one unique thing, and I think that's true. It is, it is a strong title, do as I tell you, but would I remember it tomorrow morning? Not so sure. Let's go back and see the probably final score. But do remember, this score will go up and down, actually. 
there may be people who haven't actually voted yet in their genius room in which cases their votes come in and the school will arise or fall not a bad 60 to start off with jeff actually nothing to be ashamed of and hopefully find some of our comments quite useful i tell you what i'd like to do now actually um apart from a virginia tonic of course I would like to speak. <laughs> I'd like to see what's been going on in, in your world, Peter, during lockdown. We haven't spoken to you. Actually, you've been, you've been on yeah. a podcast, of course. But what, what yes. else have you been doing? You've been writing and stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, at the beginning of lockdown, I had a new book come out called uh, Possessed. But once lockdown started, I actually found myself starting on a different project because I, um, I wanted to just do something a bit different. I think everyone was thinking in a different way during lockdown. So I yeah. started the most bizarre project ever, which seems to be resonating. So since then, I've still been doing that since then, <laughs> which is basically I. <laughs> so basically, I now run this thing called Creepy Cove Community Church Podcast, oh, wow. which broadcasts um, full and immersive church services broadcast from a mysterious haunted fishing town. It's been described like as uh, Steve, Stephen King meets Songs of Praise and it basically <sighs> consists of like f like a proper full service. I mean, like, you know, I, as some of you, <laughs> what a viewers know I'm ordained yeah. anyway, but um, it's it, in this congregation you happen to have say characters from you know jack torrance from the shining was in the oh. uh the nativity play this year for example or you know, different characters <laughs> from different films appear and um jason Voorhees from the friday oh the goodness. 13th uh films uh, he does the church keep fit class and there's a full keep fit class for people to go jogging listening to this serial killer you know, it seriously fit. culty. <laughs> seriously culty. Yeah, I haven't listened to it. I've I'm going to. I really have. I've heard it, Peter. It's it's okay. it's, it's really crazy stuff, but really yes. good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's, I mean, it's really wild. But what's interesting about it is the packaging is wild. But in it, there is. Uh, an actual sermon or an, a prayer time, but it's designed specifically for people who either like spirituality or not. And so the topics aren't about religion as such, they're more about well-being, how to cope with worry, how to cope with fear. And I've, I've been flabbergasted with the messaging of people saying, I've been in tears listening to this, this is moving me, this is helping me through difficult times. So it's a mixture of the absurd, but also really trying to help people during a, a scary time. Yes. And trying to say, like, <laughs> it's almost like, you know, in horror films, I like the idea of people in horror films, even they, they are trying to find a bit of hope amongst all of this terrible horror stuff. So that's the conceit of Creepy Cove. Wow. It's just a church surrounded it's, by scary things. This sounds insane. Absolutely. And it probably is insanely good. I'm definitely going to have a look at that in a moment. Let's, there you go. Go to Peter Law's website, Co UK, yeah. and you'll find a link through to it. Let's, in the meantime, while you're digesting that, let's have a look at our second submission. And it's a thriller. And it's from Kyle. It's called The Bird Bath. Do you like that title? I like it. Yeah. Someone's looking forward to this. It's Kyle! <laughs> Hello, Kyle. Good to have you uh, live with us. I love it when, when our authors come on live, actually, because you can ask questions and you can give us feedback on feedback we're giving you. And the whole thing turns into one vast recursive loop. This is Kyle's blurb. When Chloe refuses to leave the family farm, for college. Her parents force her to move into the creepy house next door. After a frightening encounter with a ghost, she discovers a brutal double murder took place here years ago. With the help of the mysterious new farmhand, Alex, Chloe sets out to find a killer 
determined if the ghost is real, determine if the ghost is real, and piece together how it all might connect to her grandfather, a notorious serial killer whose victims were discovered on this very farm back in the 1960s. Hopefully that's creeping you out. It's creeping me out. Um, and this is um, about Carl. I'm a 37-year-old aspiring author from rural Kentucky. I've written 12 unpublished novels, one of which landed me a literary agent back in 2016. Well done. But it was a dark, experimental work that ultimately failed to sell. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's rather like um, uh, Jeff's story, too, actually. Hmm. Uh, now I'm back in the querying trenches and writing with what I hope are much more commercial sensibilities. Right, OK, well, you sound very fixed and focused. The least we can do is give you a darn good reading from Bev. The Birdbath by Kyle Anthony, read by Bev. Chloe hopped up on the tailgate of her truck and scrolled through her contacts to find Uncle Stephen's number. It was unusually warm for late September and the metal burned her thighs. With her free hand, she took up the bottom of a white cotton camisole, a birthday gift from her mum last year, and used it to wipe the sweat from her forehead. The ripping sound of the lacy hem sent a jolt of panic through her, but she shrugged it off. If her parents were going to make her live in this creepy house, Monitoring the state of her clothing was no longer their prerogative. Most of her jeans and t-shirts were pockmarked with holes and stains, and all her shoes were stretched and misshapen from slipping them on without untying them first. This loose, lacy, ridiculously girly thing was one of the only nice articles of clothing she owned, and she was glad to have ruined it. Behind her, the house loomed, sagging roof littered with dead tree branches porch choked in vines and home to wasps' nests in every corner. She imagined the house peeling and snapping off its foundation to lean forward and hover over her, gnashing its wooden stud and copper-piped teeth before it chewed her up into a mush of flesh and splintered bone. With a deep breath, she stole a glance behind her and spied the house through the dirty windshields. She'd just finished unloading all her things from the back of the truck, sidling up to the porch one box after another to stack them with the rest, then fleeing as though a monster were at her heels, or because Beth had left the front door wide open before heading home to get the last of her own things. Chloe was so afraid to go in there alone, she couldn't even reach inside to close the door. How the hell did anyone expect her to live here? After three rings, Stephen answered with the harsh wind of an exasperated sigh. What do you want, young'un? The toilet's running, she said. Better go catch it. Oh, my God, he snickered. This is your house, Uncle Stephen, she said. It's your responsibility to fix everything that's wrong with it. Not to mention he'd been the one to propose the idea after she chickened out of going to college. Forcing her to live in a house he'd let sit empty for as far back as she could remember to collect families of mice and colonies of stink bugs and dead flies in the windowsills and of course, in the eyes of the girl who grew up terrified of the place, a quiet dread. A ghostly lure. How many times had she sped past it on her bike and thought she saw something in one of the curtainless windows? How many ghost stories had Uncle Stephen told her, not only about this house, but also the three-story 19th century Victorian nightmare down by the creek, the house where her grandfather had kept all the bodies, and to which she would now live a little bit closer? Metal clanked against metal. 
She thought she heard someone talking in the background. Stephen! Flapper's probably caught on the chain, he said. Can you come down and fix it? You know how to fix it. She wanted to deny it, but he knew better. In fact, he probably knew exactly what she was up to. Can you please just come down here, she asked again, raising her voice this time. It sounded like he'd gone back to whatever he was doing. When he didn't answer right away, she added, There's some other things I need you to look at. Like what? He called back from a distance, probably having set the phone down. She sighed heavily, blowing into the receiver on purpose, then sat there kicking her feet and tapping the tailgate with her fingertips. Stephen, she begged, please. Hold your horses, he said. We're coming. Relief hit her like a camera flash, brilliant, blinding and gone in an instant. What do you mean we? But he'd already hung up. Huh. Okay, let's see what the genius room is saying. So I got a nice uh, contingent on YouTube too. See, Becky's there actually. One last month and we're keeping our fingers crossed, hoping for very good things for Becky. Um, and we don't know who's going to win this month, of course, because we're now halfway through. Um, so Vagabond, who I happen to know actually was our narrator there, um, says, I like the dialogue a lot, but don't ink, don't think, <laughs> don't think this started <laughs> in the right place. And Clive says, nice descriptions, it's a bit haunted house. Um, and uh, Bev goes on again, Vagabond goes on again to say some blooming long sentences to read, though. Um, Kate gets a strong sense of the setting. Galadriel agrees, oh, that's a complete uh, red herring. Uh, they're going on about wasps. They, we've got two of the world's leading wasp experts in the genius room today, <laughs> and they're talking about wasps, which is fair enough. I'm not going to get in their way, buzz buzz. What did you think, Pete? <laughs> I, I, I like this. I, I... What was interesting about, you know, comparing it to the first one is that very quickly, within about two paragraphs, I was like, okay, I'm getting a sense of this person mm. and instantly, therefore, was caring about them. Um, and um, I, I liked it. I particularly liked the description and the personification of the house itself being a kind of creature with iron pipes, teeth and um, leaning over her. You know, it's just that that sort of descriptions uh, um, I, I get a kick out of. And I do I appreciate that some people have said that it's kind of generic uh but i mean the thing to remember about genre fiction is it is generic like that's the point like, yeah, it's, that's you right. can you, you can read that's like a hundred right. stories right. of where the where the yeah. car breaks down outside a spooky house and that's okay because yeah. there's something actually comforting about going through the same story yeah. over and over but with slight variations and what i like about this what really intrigues me about this is this whole thing about her granddad being a serial killer that's like that's interesting so yeah, I, I I was quite intrigued by that. The bird bath, the title, I, I didn't quite grasp it as much. You would have to have that clearly in a spooky font or something. To oh yes, because bird, you know, bird, <laughs> bird bath doesn't make me think of um, anything particularly horrifying. No, it makes but me no, think of blue tips, really. Steady on, but no, I, I thought that was uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I thought that was I thought that was good. I liked it. <laughs> Good, excellent. Well, without further um, any any further comment at all, Johnny. Uh, uh, yeah, I quite liked it too. I have to say, and I did. I actually did like the title of the bird bath. I don't know why it seemed a bit random, but I would, yeah. I would imagine it would uh, make itself known. There would be some significance to the bird bath further yeah. along yeah. the way. 
Um, and the house was good, but I think I think the house began to get a bit overdone because I, I for some reason, I had the mental image of a sort of spooky house in Scooby-Doo with sort of bats and <laughs> yes. people, you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of milling around the outside. So I, it, it started manifesting itself in my mind as a, as a cartoon, almost cartoonish. And, and the thing I didn't get really was if she was sort of so close to home, um, why, is she, why has she been ostracised? Why are they making her live in this crappy old house? Um, that, that, I didn't quite understand that. And again, perhaps that's being unfair because we're so, you know, so shortly into the story that may, that may become apparent why. But it just seemed mm. odd that she was being sort of virtually, right, sling your hook and go and live there. You can't live in the big house anymore. And I didn't quite understand why that might be the case. But... You know, I, I like the title and, and I thought the craft was good and, and, yeah. and, and I've voted already, so hopefully you've got them. Um, yeah, and, and what Peter said is, 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 is relevant. I think we, imad- we immediately did understand who Chloe was, more so perhaps than in the first thing, because Chloe was fleshed out a bit more. Um, yeah. And, and that's important. Let me ask um, both of you, um, what we're asking you to do right now is kind of really artificial reading environment, actually, because, you know, you um, uh, our viewers can't necessarily, not can't necessarily see what you're doing behind the scenes, but you've got a lot to do. You've got to focus on the on the uh, submission itself and you've got the the voting to do and so on Uh, maybe jot down a few notes about what you're going to say and it's all quite it's quite different really to the way people normally read Uh, it's quite an intense experience if you had been reading this just sort of normally if you can try and put your head in that that place um, would it have hooked you would you want to, to carry on would you have turned the page I, I think I probably would have kept reading and turning the page, although the blurb um, I, might not have made me open the book. Uh, the blurb right. itself I found okay, but I know this sounds silly, right? But I think one of the one of the sins or one of the things you want to avoid is getting the reader to stop and go, hang on, what? And just in yeah. the first two sentences of the blurb, I couldn't understand the bit about um, she doesn't want to go to college, so she's going to live in the house next door, and I just couldn't work out what that meant. Yeah, and I was yeah. instantly like, oh, I don't mm. know what this is about, and so I just think the cl- clarity is very, very important in a blurb. Yeah, um, yeah. but actually, the, the, the reading the, what we've read, yeah, I had to keep turning. Okay, so um, yeah, me too. But- Go on, go on. Sorry, I would have as well. I, yeah, I, I would have kept reading as well. Though I did take on board what people in the genius room said it was a bit generic, and equally Peter's point as well about generic fiction is by definition generic. So uh, you know, it would have kept me going for another while. It's not, it's not exactly my my own genre of, of what I choose to read, but I, th- I think it was confidently handled. Good. Now then, I'm going to do something live on air that you haven't seen me do ever. Um, and that is, I'm just going to come on to Peter because I think we've got a slight voting issue, Peter. You seem to have yeah, voted on the next submission. Don't do anything yeah, at I did. all. I'm glad you, spot- I'm glad yeah. you spotted that. Um, <laughs> as you can see, I did the I did the bird bath for the damned. So yeah, okay. what happens so there? I've reset it. Um, oh, so this is all above board because uh, sometimes people do write in and say, you know, it's, yeah, it's fixed. You, you know, you obviously are not are not voting in in real time, and it's all mm. put up job, and you're all a bunch of thieves and, and liars and stuff. And actually, <laughs> we're not. We're not. <laughs> we really do yeah. try to do the best we can live. So I've just reset the vote. Everyone can see that. So you're free to vote okay. again after um, submission number three, which is coming up right now. And it is called Remedy the Damned. It's from Ben. Um, got a QR code there. Your chat is working, Ben. 
Yeah, and you're definitely not stupid. Oh, good heavens. Ben needs a little therapy right now from us. We'll give it to you by all means immediately after we've uh, looked at your submission. It's a supernatural thriller. What could be better for our special guest today, Peter Lord, than a supernatural thriller? QR code there too, so you can go <laughs> along to Ben's website. Remedy the Damned. This is Ben's blurb. Magna never chose eternal life or to take the life of others. He never asked to be the best at what he does or to follow in any ancient footsteps. He just wanted to be normal, mortal like you and I, to live, love and die. When he discovers the legend of an ancient ritual capable of turning his kind back to the living, he and his lover Danica flee England for Venice, hoping to find a remedy for their eternal damnation. I'm going to be the first to say death in Venice. No. Sorry about that. Let me tell you about Ben. Um, I'm taking a big switch in genre to the supernatural world of vampires, away from my usual crime thrillers. You can do crime and, uh, and creepy, just like Peter does. But this isn't Twilight or some pop series capitalising on teenage angst. This is a dark, violent, occult underworld, laced with romance, hope and metaphors for the real world. I've been writing independent novels for around 10 years under the name Ben Coulter. To date, I've written four crime thriller novels receiving over 200 positive re reviews on Amazon. Very good. I've already submitted a previous draft to Latopia's pop-up submissions back in July. It was up there with some of the best feedback I've ever received. Thank you! <laughs> I feel validated. <laughs> uh, and I've now totally re rewritten my beginning off of the back of this. So with that in mind, here we go again. Indeed we do. And just a little tip there. It's very, very nice um, for you to say these things, actually. We do like feedback. Good or bad, whatever, bang it in. When you're sending um, um, a little letter to an agent as well, it's always agents love a little positive praise. They love it. So it's always a good idea to say something nice about them. Not just what a lovely agent you are, but just research one of their clients. And if the client acknowledges the agent in the back of the book, which they usually do in the acknowledgement, you can mention that. It's like, I was so pleased to see XYZ said, said such nice things about you. And that agent will puff themselves up like there's, well, like there's some sort of puffer fish, really. Um, it's it's <laughs> a little flattery. It goes a long way, actually, Ben. All right, so, um, so yes, I'm giving giving all my trade secrets away here. Um, this is going to be an amazing reading because it's from Robert. Remedy the Damned by Ben, read by Robert. Chapter One, Vengeance is Ours. Suffolk, England, the present day. Bonfire flames wrestled with darkness in the heart of camp. Magna gazed into their meditative dance, his dark eyes drawn in like a lost ship to a lighthouse. The chaotic twists and flickers cancelling out the madness of his own life, if only for a moment. Oi, oh, you big dosser! You gonna give us a hand? Elvis said from the rear of the van. Magna was yanked back to reality by the gangly young man jumping down in front of him. His face was littered with pockmarks from teenage acne attacks and his eyes spewing rage. This fat fuck's heavy. No man born of mother should weigh this much. He had a curious mix of Mancunian and the old English of a Dickens novel. Magna ran his fingers through his short black hair and drew a slow breath before replying. I suggest you remove that look from your eyes and tone from your lips, he said glaring down at him. 
or I'll remove them from you. He had the same northern accent, just without the old English. You two shut up bloody arguing before Pa comes and cracks all our skulls, Chuck said, appearing from deeper within the old transit. He had russet hair and boyish features, his dialect a carbon copy of Elvis. Magna glanced around the isolated meadow, which housed a temporary belt of cars, trucks and caravans. They were far enough from society to stave off unwelcome guests, yet close enough to appear as regular Romani travellers. Get him over here, Magna replied, reaching in and grabbing an ankle. He pulled the bulky carcass towards him with ease until a grey mass of hair snagged under Chuck's foot. Get off his hair! And you, Elvis, come and grab the other leg. You're not the boss of me, Elvis replied with a hiss on his tongue. He might not be, but I am, Stefan said, emanating from the shadows. He was much older than the three young men and matched Magna's height, towering above the other two. His nose was pointed and hooked at the end. His dark eyes were sunken into his skull, pillowed underneath by yellow wrinkles. Stop acting like a pack of little girlies and get on with it! He had the same cadence as Elvis, just with added gravel and bass, and slightly further north. Elvis pushed past Magna and grabbed at both ankles. He pulled, employing all of his might, but losing grip as the buttock slid out over the threshold. The body hit the muddy floor and sat there, upright against the bumper, as if contemplating his fate. For fuck's sake, you're bleeding pathetic, Stefan said. He mopped tiny beads of sweat from his scalp, gliding his palm over a mass of scars and stubble. A pair of huge black dogs emerged from camp, scampering towards Magna. He bent down and stroked their heads. Their licks of affection eased the tension in his wide jaw muscles. Stop buggering about with those mutts and get over here! Show these clowns what true strength is, Stefan said. Magna moved away from the dogs, using slow and deliberate actions of disobedience. He sighed as he made his way to the side of the body and gripped his hands under both armpits. Chuck and Elvis grabbed the legs. The vicar's waking up, Pa, Elvis said as the limb he was holding began to twitch. We need more liquid. In the name of our Lord of Night, will you just get him over there and tie him up in the chair? Stefan replied. I'm salivating just looking at the little beast. He wiped spittle from his lips as they spread up into a frenzied smile, wide enough to reveal two small fangs in his incisors. Chuck and Elvis beamed along with their leader as they backed towards the metal chair at the fire's edge. Magna didn't smile, but he did eyeball the vicar with the same mania. The servant of God he had just helped to kidnap and would now help to sacrifice. He could control his outward emotions to the world, but his subconscious senses locked deep inside fought a battle he found hard to extinguish, a battle of human morality and ancient thirst, a primal bloodlust coursing through his soul.
Let's see what the uh, Genius Room is doing. Glenn says, generally like, like vampire stories. Um, this isn't grabbing me yet. Zero. One, five, three, eight, eight says, like the setting and writing is good, but I'm a little lost at the moment. That's from YouTube. Might just be me. I don't think it is, actually. Ed says it was almost comedic, but I wasn't sure it was quite knew what it wanted to do or be, and somebody else have lost track of it. So a lot of comments on this, actually. Hopefully you're getting a lot out of it, actually, um, uh, Ben. Um, it, it, sometimes there's so many comments, it's worth just actually, you know, uh, freezing the video and just reading through them carefully because they do track each other quite a lot. Um, early clues to vampires would be good, says Kate. Glenn, uh, with, uh, yeah, Hannah, not feeling much of Magnus' character, says Hannah. One or two other people have said that as well. Um, dialogue's mostly strong enough to speak for itself, says Kate. So that's that's a clue, actually. Maybe less is more, perhaps. I think we need to come to the... The master here, don't we, Peter, please? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, okay, uh, well, firstly, I think the thing that came to mind with this was um, about how it's pitched genre-wise, because it was pitched as a supernatural thriller. And yeah. in my mind, and, this, and I could be wrong here, by the way, but in my mind, I was thinking, ah, supernatural thriller, so that's kind of set in the normal world of, like, the normal Earth, which is invaded by ghosts or, or the supernatural like this. The description of what this is like is a little bit more epic than that and almost moves into the world of fantasy. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? A horror, um, because, you know, it's a whole community. And so all, all I'd say was just, you know, to try and think of how to pitch it in terms of that. But as for this sort of story, there are a bunch of books out here, uh, out there which explore these sorts of things, these sort of traveling um, groups that have this, uh, like, vampiric quality. And there mm. is a market for this sort of stuff. Yeah. And um, it's not it's not really where I sit in terms of the yeah. type of books I read, but um, I think it could work. The, I, I, to I didn't get the title. I thought the title, again, it stopped me mm. and made me think, huh? And that's not what you want in someone in the bookshop going, eh? <laughs> uh, and so I didn't. I thought that could need work. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's if if you like this sort of fantasy horror stuff, it's pretty yeah. absorbing. Yeah. So uh, roaming bands of uh, uh, peregrinatory yeah. uh, vampires yeah, reminds me yeah. of uh, uh, Pride of Literary Agents. Really, that's what that's what goes on with us. <laughs> um, yeah, Johnny. First reactions. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was sort of went on a little bit of a bum steer on it because I didn't tie it into the blurb and I thought that the, the body in the van was, was a corpse rather than a, a kidnapped vicar in the first instance. So that threw me off a bit. But, but one bit that did really sort of arrest me early on was, I, I think as each character was introduced, we had a kind of a little bit, it's a little bit like the thing that Peter mentioned in the first thing about the a lot of this sort of the responses through the body. We had an awful lot of uh, comments on it and the actual, you know, how these people spoke. And, you know, one spoke with a Mancunian accent, one spoke sort of with a Mancunian accent, but it was a bit higher. One spoke with another sort of accent. And I thought, yeah, OK, we get it with the accents. You know, you're bumping me out of the story with that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I did sort of, I thought it was a bit, a bit you know, superfluous detail. Uh, but, you know, again, of the genre type of thing, when the, when the fangs finally sort of sprang out, I thought, ah, yes, we're into vampires then. Though I, I was beginning to suspect towards the end. So it, it, was, it was quite nice 
nicely done. I thought the, the dialogue, I think somebody mentioned the dialogue as well, and I've made a note of dialogue was a little bit stilted, sounded a little bit unnatural to me. Um, it didn't flow properly. It, it was almost um, character one speaks, character two speaks. You know, there was no uh, cut and thrust to it in, in, in some respects. Um, but, yeah, it is competently written again, and, and um, I, I quite quite enjoyed it overall. Yeah, and Annie says, Ben, she's talking to you directly, Ben, join the colony. Yes, you get loads more feedback <laughs> in the workshops. It's free. And um, yeah, Lex says, I love the concept and supernatural stuff is my jam, but the writing needs some tightening to hold my interest. Yeah, mm. I think you've definitely got it, though. I mean, I've, I've marked you good for the, the craft there, um, which is not grammatical, but I'm sorry about that. Uh, just... Um, yeah, we got quite a lot of F-bombs in, in today's show. Just to make it clear, actually, I don't mind if you if you do use F-bombs. It does demonetize us, and it makes us more difficult to find on YouTube because we don't get promoted in the, in the search results. But nevertheless, that's the price you pay for freedom of expression, guys, and we're not going to ask you to, to change the way you write. Um, let's have a look. I think we should... Well, we, three submissions in. Let's see how the, uh, the land lies. Okay, so it's fairly tight actually at the moment. Jeff, our very first submission of the day, is in the lead with 62. And by the way, Ben, they love your blurb. Your your blurb, you see the green highlights there? That highlights whoever is winning in that particular category for the moment. And you're winning in the blurb category, which is all very good news, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, Peter, I need to ask you some basic yeah. questions, some really fundamental okay. questions. What makes people go to horror? I think uh, people go to horror because uh, it's the most relevant topic in so many different ways. The, the, the potential of death, well, <laughs> the certainty of death, oh, yeah. and, the, and um, the fact yeah. of violence. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and the fact of violence and suffering. So it actually, the opposite would be, it would be absurd to think that human beings would not want to explore these very relevant topics in a way that is palatable and somehow you, you can put into predictable patterns. Yeah. And that's why I think the horror genre and thrillers work. And that's why they're often generic. It's because we're taking that which scares us and putting it into predictable patterns. And there's the yeah. psychology uh, you know, top um, studies done of children who have gone through really shocking experiences and they'll use toys to recreate the horrific thing they've been through over and over because they're taking mm. the chaos and wow. making it into wow. a pattern. Yeah. I think that's what we do with horror that's and what stories. We're doing. And, and that's genre. what we're doing, yeah. Mm. Do you think the, the COVID era, if we can call it that, has changed the horror readership, greater, lesser, changed what's working, what's well, not? It's, it's, it certainly showed that, particularly in the in the first uh, first few months of the pandemic, that uh, horror films about disease and pandemics were very popular indeed. So people mm. wanted to explore the topic, and also there were other studies saying that people who were used to films about apocalyptic, shocking horror scenarios were coping <laughs> better do it. <laughs> with the you real life pandemic. Back, and then yeah. you smash yeah, exactly. the zombie. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, oh, we've trained for this, so they were, uh, they were yes. okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just wondering about you personally. Do people actually know how to take you? 
mostly when when they realize I'm kind of a fairly normal person, yes. But I think they they see the label of say horror fan or horror author, and yeah. they 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 build a certain certain personality on that, and then they yeah. hear trained train minister and they be, they yes. build a personality on that, exactly. and it clashes. Exactly. But for me, I like yeah. that clash. I think are we're you all a are clash you worried of... you're going to get sucked too far to the dark side at all? No, not really. I, well, I mean, maybe I'm being naive. I've had people tell me, I've, I've actually been oh, on yeah. radio shows where I found out late, like Christian radio shows, where later oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I found out that a team have been praying um, oh, for protection yeah. because I yeah, was yeah. coming into the studio yeah. and I might be bringing some sort of demonic <laughs> We do that normally me. on pop-ups in any case, actually, when we know you're yeah. coming yeah, well, Absolutely, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, I've your, got a couple of strings of garlic here offside, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Are you um, influenced by real world? of cultism at all i'm thinking now really of um christopher lee actually who um, you know made no oh, fortune yeah. of course and but he also he had a an occult collection of books it's a very famous youtube clip yeah. only a minute of him actually warning people away from this i don't know why he collected the books where he said you know you you get involved in that your immortal soul is in danger yeah, he, t he talked about that after being mm. given um, a book by Dennis Wheatley, I think. And oh. he said, you know, be careful, don't mess around with this stuff. Um, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm friends with, uh, you know, obviously with other Christians and uh, atheists, but also with some witches. And I've got friends who are Satanists. And um, it can appear like they are going to be scary and shocking. But actually, when you get yeah. to know them, I think all of us are just trying to figure out what life is about and trying to deal with our fears. Yeah, yeah. So, is there any particular, I don't know, type of horror that you personally find most frightening? Well, in in a sense, it real real life horror. This this the interesting yeah. thing because sometimes I'd, I'd people think, too. ah, you. Mm, yeah, yeah, people tend to think, ah, you like writing stories about people dying and being murdered mm. graphically, because you must get excited when it happens in real life, and it yeah. is really precisely the opposite. Um, I, I actually find that like real life death and suffering and violence disturbs me in such a way yeah, I that I have to find a way of putting it into predictable patterns and see so write a book about more. it. I couldn't agree more. You know, I'm Tony Blair's speech of decades ago is still ringing my ears. You know, we will pay the blood price. You know, you complete idiot, really. Oh. I mean, uh, mm. you're talking about hundreds of thousands of innocent people dying, and just yeah, it's the, the banality of evil that scares me, and more than anything else. Yes. Um, I got yeah. terrified as a kid, actually. Got terrified as a kid one time when my brothers, who had a friend who was a projectionist, brought me in to see Dracula has risen from the grave, and I was about ten. And I was terrified, oh, wow. <laughs> and it put me off. Yeah. It put me off. Stop mentioning Christopher Lee. It put me off horror forever. <laughs> the end scene where he gets impaled on a cross. I was yeah. absolutely terrified. Yeah. So it's, it's left a mark on me. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. But what's, what's interesting is you can look. You can talk to people about how things that scared them as a as a kid. For example, public service uh, uh, announcements and things, uh, uh, videos that were sent out from the government to warn people oh, about yeah. swimming or you know be careful. Charlie says <laughs> don't talk to strangers, and they terrify <laughs> children as, as <laughs> yeah, people as yeah, children. But today, when you speak to them as yeah. adults, they come out as the best things yeah. they've seen when they were a kid because they mm. remembered them because they were so scary uh, yeah. and weirdly made them feel more alive <laughs> the amount of, level of, one of, of kids playing with the kite I yeah. remember the one yeah. the kids playing with the kite a, near pylons and people yeah, have really a hard head in, in, in their way yeah this is a but slight tangent 
this is a slight tangent, but you, you know, you're the best person to answer this in any case. So, you know, the level of fear yeah. in our society over the past two years has just gone through the roof, really. People are so frightened of everything, part of which is entirely deliberate because our, our politicians, um, bless their little hearts, mm. do have a psychological warfare unit mm. whose job it's been specifically to make us very, very yeah. frightened. And, you know, what, what are the other aspects of that? Well, maybe we're a little more compliant, I don't know, as a society. How do we reset all that, Peter? We, you know, we're talking about fear and horror and terror and so on but you know if we want to get rid of a bit of the fear in our lives what are we going to do well i i think the big fears come now really it's about a fear of other people and groups that aren't yeah holding our views and so yes. i think the scary aspect of our society is the tribalism that we've seen and so the solution to that is to mm. meet people who are not like you and hmm. i think that's becoming increasingly harder because we're able to curate our social circles so well on hmm. social media in the second wow. you know i don't like what he said and just get rid of them and hmm. so there's not many environments in which you can hmm. sit alongside people who are very different that's I, and this is not a plug for church it's more a sociological hmm. point that's one of the things about church which is interesting because you can sit next to like a homeless guy on the left and a CEO on the right and mm. an elderly person in the front and a teenager behind you. There's not many spaces in society where you get to have different people in your group. Mm. So I think that's the solution, meeting people who are different. And then you yeah. learn that they're not as scary as you think. Yeah. Well, hey, join Litopia again. Another plug. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're very different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Peter. Brilliant, actually. Brilliant. I totally agree with that. Let's have a look at the fourth submission today. And it is from Jay. QI code there, too. Is this Jay? Yes, it is. Hello, Jay. Good to have you with us. Very good indeed. It's sci fi slash humour. Oh, yes. And it's called Zeno's Last Grain. And this is the um, um, series title The Galaxy Marshals, book one. And this is Jay's blurb. Space trucker John Simmons has messed up, big time. He's put blueprints for a planet-destroying weapon in the wrong hands. And now it's up to his guilt-ridden derriere to stop it, once he's had supper, that is. After the revelation of what he's done sinks in, John is hell-bent on redemption, even if things do get a bit squiffy. But things don't quite turn out as planned. As people begin to die, John begins to wonder if he can change his future and his past. He doesn't know yet, but try he must. I'll tell you about Jay. Uh, Jay Gaskell is from Lancashire in the UK, although he was recently spotted on Aurelian 532 in Sector G getting chased by a G-Wag. <laughs> what? Thank you, pardon. <laughs> That's what it says here. Getting chased by a G-Wag. I, I know what a wag is. Well, I don't know what a G-Wag is. Possibly somebody in the Genius Room or the YouTube chat can tell me what a G-Wag is. And I will, I will be educated today. Um, before he started roaming around the Milky Way, he's been a bank teller, a volunteer in Nigeria. He was also an English teacher in South Korea for over a decade before landing a job in the publishing industry in Seoul. Now a full-time freelance writer, Jay is back in the UK. He's a wife and toddler who miss him dearly when he's away roaming, who understand the demands of the galaxy. We're taking this a little bit far, Jay, I think. I wonder if they actually believe what you're telling them. <laughs> and a BTL property business that tends to fall into disrepair, which 
which does not. Okay, yeah, I understand. I murdered that sentence, but I understand. <laughs> Zeno's Last Grain is his first novel, and it's the first book in the Galaxy Marshals space comedy series. And I'm delighted to say you've got a reading today from Kay. Zeno's Last Grain by J. J. R. Gaskell, read by Kay. One. These idiots at the jump gates are always trouble. I don't know why I'm surprised. Guess it's the bleak, godforsaken loneliness of deep space that gets their goat, what was being stationed for months on end in their one-man vessels. But this one seems particularly irked. All I want is to pay my wormhole toll and get moving again. But Charles Durkin's security officer, gate number 2890, has other annoyingly bureaucratic ideas. Shipping license and vehicle registration, please, sir, says Charles for the umpteenth time as I view him on the ship's video feed, stood arms crossed on a blandly painted control deck bigger than my entire rec room, his cam on wide angle, probably showing off. I lean forward, take a good look at him. The pasty prick. I already don't like him. Has a wispy black moustache, black hair, slicked back round transparent framed glasses and the standard grey uniform all these officers wear, although his appears unusually pristine. There's a generously sized chair behind him where he could stretch his legs if he wanted, with what looks like controls built into the arms, frigging interceptor class deep space patrol gunships. They don't know how good they have it. All their mod cons and enough space to fit a five-man crew into, while I have what I have. I give him my best smile, the one with all the teeth, to try and get things moving. It doesn't work. It's regional policy before entering a Laurentian Corporation wormhole, he adds this time for clarity. Behind the petty jobs worth on my screen there's a window showing a filthy beaten up freighter. For a second I don't recognise it, but that's where I live all right. The C.S. Granicus, rickety piece of crap that it is. It's more than depressing, and it's not even mine. The cargo company I work for, Nebula, supplied it. My job? To ship whatever needs moving across deep space. Recently, it's been transporting antiques from the Sol system to the Toph colonies in Sector H, or carrying crappy electronic gizmos for the poor folks in Sector G. I suppose it wouldn't be so bad if I didn't sleep in a bunk the size of a coffin and eat cold canned food straight from the tin every meal just two metres from the stinking cubicle I have to shit in, but I do. This is how I spend my days, cramped into a tiny rake area behind the cockpit, with nothing to do but play dire VR sims on a shoddy old second-hand console that's on the blink. It's bloody inhumane. I peer through the cockpit's starboard window. Unlike my rig, Charles's ship is shiny and new, painted red and gold, with Laurentian Corporation written boldly across it. I look more carefully, squinting, and can just about make out Charles through the same window that's also on my screen. His ship looks big enough to give him a veritable penthouse suite compared to mine. Must be a combined 200 cubic metres of space in there, at least. Probably ten times what I have. Thrusters on each side to keep it stationed near the wormhole. The T-shaped structure has a set of metal goalposts and a crossbar of sorts attached to it with a vast extending pole. 
with gate 2890 written on a sign over it, which I'm currently stopped in front of. My thrusters also on automatic to keep from drifting. Sir, says Charles, your documents? Fine, give me a minute, I'll go dig them out. I say, moving away from the camera he's viewing me on and exiting the cockpit, squeezing between the toilet and shower cubicle, knocking open a cupboard door by accident on the way, a pile of left shoes spilling out, kicking some in frustration as I go, and going into the back cabin to think for a minute. I close the door and go sit on the unmade bunk built into the far wall beyond the so-called wreck area a depressing little room that has cracked and constantly peeling burnt orange-coloured paint on the walls. Should have been updated several decades ago. Okay, straight to the genius room. Gladriel's drifting! Somebody please throw a lasso. Um, Ed, getting an HG2TG, which I'm going to interpret as Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy vibe, but not in a great way, he says. Um, Whoa, yeah, that's right, Eric. Actually, Deep Purple Space Trucker. Whoa, yeah, same thing, really. Um, Annie, Annie likes writing. I keep the action going before info dumping. Yeah, and I think Kate said that too. I can't say it now, but I think it is up there somewhere. Expo, Expo, Expo. Kate also says, Zeno's last grain immediately made me smile. I agree with that. Um, <laughs> Jan says... I prefer our last conversation, actually, but it's so, so good, I'm going to read it. Uh, I once joined an artist collective and later discovered nearly everyone in the collective was a Satanist. Damn, we've been rumbled! Uh, <laughs> I had no idea until my friends attended one of my gallery shows and overheard some discussions about a circle later that night. Yes. Because I'm hurdles, of course. Who was Charles? Andy Samuelis. And he says, I can tell the writer's a fully built world in his head. Yeah, and I'm getting that world, too, to, to be honest. I'm, it's convincing me but it'd be better if we see it gradually yeah and Becky who is of course um, our winner of last month and we keep our fingers crossed for Becky says needs a bit more humour up front I totally agree with that Becky what did you think Johnny? Well I, I quite enjoyed some aspects of this um, I particularly it's good to find out that in the future you know when we're all sort of going through space they're going to be jobs worth still because i yes. like the idea of a jobs worth <laughs> it, it, you know at his kind of control post on a wormhole yeah. gate saying oh, you can't come through out here without proper documentation <laughs> and all that stuff so I, I thought i thought that was really you know really great yeah. I, I think probably though i think what becky just said it, it for me it's falling a wee bit between two stools there is moments there are moments of humor in it but probably not enough and it, yeah. it kind of it, it, it gets a little bit drifts between humorous and the you know a, a bit sort of draggy and lots of description and, and all that sort of stuff um but but i thought you know that and, and somebody made a comment about hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and i was in my head i was i was thinking graphically a little bit of some of that as well um it was great it's it's my sort of thing but i'd like i'd like the sort of the humor uh factor up a bit you know to really me in, in that respect um yeah. I, but i enjoyed it again I, I did enjoy it good okay and hey okay, definitely drift off as well so we don't want that i didn't drift off but i i did get into the the environment i could see that and i've definitely read on it it's a world i'd quite like to know more of but i there's no humor humor so do, how do you do do you ever do any humor peter Oh, yeah, uh, um, certainly my podcast is very bizarre and humorous. But yeah, and I always try to thread humor into 
uh, in scary novels and stuff. Just I, I just find humor mm. to be a great a great sort yeah. of tool. But what's interesting about this uh, this um, submission is like I I actually really liked that and I enjoyed it. I got absorbed by it. The only thing almost similar to what we said before was like it was billed as a as a comedy. Used the word comedy, I think. Yeah, humor, sci-fi humor. And yeah. so I was like, right, okay, I'm in that zone. Yeah. And it wasn't like laugh a minute. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't laugh any laugh every two minutes. Um, but I but I still liked it. And so um, you know, if it had just been pitched as a quirky science fiction thing, I would be I wouldn't be expecting. Yes. Lots of uh, mm. humor in it. Well, I but think what that's it was, it. I, I thought that was actually quite re- well, well, well written. I, I loved the idea of kind of wormholes having tolls. Yeah. I, I, the character comes across as quite depressed and sort of jaded, yeah. which yes. which is quite fun to think that. Well, hopefully, if his character arc, he's going to go into an adventure and suddenly find out life is a bit more exciting than he thought. That that would probably be quite a satisfying journey to go on. I think. Yeah. So mm. I, I I liked it, but if you're telling me that's a comedy yeah then i'm going to expect like canned laughter in the back of my head that's gonna be hard. Like i don't know that. how you start really i mean it's really hard i mean comedy is much harder than most people think in any case but how do you yeah. know how do you what, what do you do on the first page just because we only give you 700 words in any case and, you know if you're saying humor we do expect to have a wry smile at least maybe a bit more i'm just going to check i did um, i did smile by the way a few i mean a few times like i did chuckle so i'm not saying it was without humor yeah, yeah, but it's mm, it's still challenging, John. Uh, yeah, you pressed the button. Fantastic. Yeah, um, I, I did. I, I pressed yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's great. And you're pretty. pretty you, th- you think he's got quite a lot of commercial potential? Are you given that eight? Yeah, I, I, I yeah. think I think with a good edit, I think with a good edit, and and what I've said, what Peter said, and others have said, yeah. I think if it is going to, I think he needs to decide. Uh, what genre he's going for and, and, and up the funny. Um, yeah. You know, funny, as you often say on here, comedy is a hard thing to do. But it's, oh, yeah. if you're writing a comedy, you have to go bang, 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 pretty much. You know, you can't, you can't have a, you know, a joke, first line, page one, and then the next one comes on page something like that because yeah. people are not, they're not getting it's, punch, punch, punch. It's a very it's high a difficult bar. Thing of it. Yeah, it's a very mm. high bar, isn't it? It's really, I mean, putting. Oh, it's got to be. I mean, you've no, you've done it, Jay. You've said it's it's got sci-fi humour, so you've got to deliver that pretty quickly, and that's a really hard thing to do. Let's have a look at the scores. And you are with an has breath, actually, Jay. Look at the voting is still coming in. Um, it could be a tie. Who knows? Jeff and Jay, the two Jays, very close inching it and in fact in terms of overall uh well blurb craft and bang um people think that you you are winning at the moment jay so looks like it's all to play for our final submission of the day and this is it baby hitlers did i read that right yes baby hitlers commercial (laughs) fiction from matt very complicated QR code there. Scan it, see where. It's a magical QR code tour. You don't know where it's going to go. Hello, all. Oh, it's Matthew himself. He's with us. A barbaric American president. An emotionally shattered foreign correspondent. The frustrated spirit of a man whose bomb ripped through a beer hall just minutes after Adolf Hitler walked out. Baby Hitlers. Ripped from headlines and history books, asks if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you have the moral responsibility to do so? That is a very good question. 
deep into philosophy straight away there. I would like to know what your answer would be to that, please. Uh, I'm talking about Matt. I spent 35 years as a journalist, as a foreign correspondent, war correspondent, and finally covering Trump and Russia in D.C. I'm now back in Berlin writing fiction, which has always been my goal in life. I'm insanely happy with the process. Good. Thank heavens. That's so nice. The, the process, you're supposed to enjoy it. If you enjoy it, we're going to enjoy reading it. It makes the odds much better. But would like to see about actually selling something. All right, well, let's see if we can do that with a, an absolutely spiffing reading from Barbara. Baby Hitlers by Matt Schofield. Read by Barbara. Chapter One. The End. The streaming image of black Chevy Suburbans flying US flags vanished from Martin's laptop screen. His head jerked away from the digital void, his eyes cartoonishly open. He jumped from his chair, stabbing steps, left, then right, then back to seated in front of his computer. Outside of his midtown Berlin apartment window, when he peered south, he could see the barricades that would turn the motorcade down Wilhelmstrasse, that would send it right by his place, right where he needed it to roll. The route hadn't changed, but he didn't have eyes on the presidential procession. He needed to see. He needed to know. He thought he'd have eyes on the motorcade, at least until it was close and he had to run. Verdammt, Georg said, the all-purpose German curse. An occasional native word in conversations with his American friends was as close to rattled as he got. We need visuals now. Is that security interference? Martin said, his voice dropping a full octave with the question. Even Martin could hear the panic in his own voice. They're getting close. Are they jamming? They can't jam a whole city. Static washed off the end of his screen and the picture returned. A perfect view of the presidential motorcade from above. Before Martin could celebrate the return of the image, he noticed what was in it. Crap. Is that the edge of Potsdamer Platz? Martin said. Seven blocks? It's okay. They're barely crawling. We're ready. They're almost here. Be ready, are we? It was a cool day, early January in Berlin, but even with the window vents open, Martin was sweating. The pain in his head was sharp. He gulped his breaths. We're on the checklist, Georg said. Georg was calm. Georg was always calm. The backpacks are in place. Fuck the checklist. There are people. There weren't supposed to be this many people. Focus. There are protesters, good people, who hate him as much as we do. Yeah, Georg said. Everyone hates him, everyone fears him, but nobody acts. We're acting. There comes a time when someone must act. This is that time. You are that person. But they're innocent. As are his other victims, the ones we know about, and the millions to come. They're always innocents. The greater good. God, I'm not you. I don't know how I can do this. Focus. Focus on the plan. Backpacks? Yeah, here and there. Martin waved his hands towards the far side of the street. You double-checked the route? You could see the blockades turning it towards us, yeah. You ran a test on the detonators? Yes. Used enough explosives? To crater the block. And you've set the trigger, the cell phone? Yeah. We're ready. Martin stared at the motorcade on his screen. He wanted tears running down his cheeks. He wanted to be overwhelmed, to feel that he really couldn't go through with this. But the doubt was on the surface. He wanted to rebel against this willingness to assassinate President Thomas Dapp. Not my president, others would say. I voted for the other one, they'd say. But fuck that. Who I voted for doesn't matter. 
I'm an American and he's the American president. He's my president, so my responsibility. He had to go. Cathy had known it right away. That's why she'd walked away. She couldn't be with an American, someone who supported Dab, even if just by not doing enough to stop him. Dab drove her away. Dab ruined everything in his life, even torching his only true love. On the screen, the motorcade was moving, slowly, getting closer. Martin again glanced down from his window at the street, Wilhelmstrasse, shut down for the motorcade. The street was empty of traffic. Tourists. Of course there were clumps of tourists staring at the Elsa Memorial. He'd known they'd be there. He hated those bastards. Enough to kill? But the protesters? They were carrying signs saying that must go and racists suck. Shit, there are too many people, Martin said. We gotta cancel. Nothing new. Collateral damage. I had them. Unavoidable. I even had friends. You've got to move. Right, there's an interesting comment from YouTube there. Um, Cafe V Doc, which I have not come across, but I'm going to remember that, actually. Thank you very much for that, Justin. Um, let me try and summarise what the uh, genius team is saying. Like the pace. pace. A lot of people talk about the pace. Pace and tension, people like that. Barbara's reading is excellent. We're not reviewing that, but even so. Um, yeah, and Barbara herself says, uh, Gorg's, I don't know how to pronounce that, Gorg, Gorg, Gorg's speeches could do with being uh, more foreign. Okay. Very, and, uh, several people say that it's visual, filmic, can see the opening of a, a movie and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, it made me think a bit of Day of the Jackal. Um, is, it, is it holding you there, Johnny? Yeah, I think it is. I had a visual image. It's a Peter Gabriel song called Family Snapshot, and it's a very similar uh, scene where somebody's waiting for a president to go by and, and take him out. But, you know, that's exactly where it took me in, in, in terms of that visual image and, and the feeling of it. Um, I think also the idea that um, um, Matt's protagonist is sort of conversing with um, a statue outside his window of, of Georg, or again, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. To talk. You know, I, I like the idea that there was a conversation depicted there as well between the two, which is a, a, an unusual, um, an unusual kind of. Um, and, and there are obviously sort of parallels with sort of recent <laughs> recent history in America yeah, uh, and, and all of those things. Yeah, so I, 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 yeah I, I think it, I think it got a very. Um, it, it, I would certainly read on, and I think it would become clearer when I read yeah. on. There's quite a, a, a serious uh, premise behind this as well, um, and, yeah. and I, I enjoyed it, and I think it was well handled. Okay, let's see. Uh, oh, Glenn is gripping. Um, so, you're not wild about the title there. Uh, care to say anything about that, Johnny? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a bit misleading. I'm not quite sure why why Baby Blues. It, it, it's just one of those things that it's it doesn't particularly grab me. Um, yeah, it, it could be anything. At that, it could be anything at that stage, really, from from a t from a time. Yeah, it could be. It could me. be something in South America, couldn't it? Where they're breeding baby Hitlers or something like that. It, yeah, it, it could be just. It could be any genre that, that it doesn't sort of immediately sort of park me down the the area. That, yeah, that, that, that we're, we're, when the story. So you, you, you get the you get the correlation immediately. Yeah, but other than that, you're marking pretty high on that. Let's have a look at mm. uh, the chat room again. Um, I really, I really get to do this joke again. When life gives you Hitler, says Lex, make Hitler aid. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you, Lex. Seriously, says so a fantastic premise to explore. That bit about DAP was a bit explainy. It was, actually. I thought, that's right, Ed. Broke the mould. So we've got a guy talking to a statue. Um, I reckon that's magical realism, is it? What did you, what did you think of that, Peter? I really like this. Um, I, I must admit, when I heard the, the, the title Baby Hitler's my B-movie type of brain went yes, into, oh, yes, wow, this is going yes. to be actual <laughs> baby Hitler's attacking people. And I'm like, I'm there. I'm up to this. Which obviously, that's not what it is. And I, I, I made the adjustment and, and went for it. And um, I, I thought this was, was very good. What was interesting about this um, author is um, you can, t I personally think you can tell his, uh, his confidence um, in journalism, uh, yeah. his many years of writing in journalism, because you know, compared to say some of the other ones we've read, which have all been great, this has a heck of a lot going on in it. But has it to is told in a in a fairly, I think, clever and economical way. Mm. So I'm already my mind is thinking of lots of different things, and there's a lot of kind of immersive ideas and philosophical ideas and practical ideas and interesting dialogue in a in a relatively short space of time. That's mm. the skill of a journalist, I think, to boil down complicated things and present them. Yeah, so we've got I to that interesting confident. point already, oh, 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 haven't we? Sorry to interrupt. That oh, is he going yes, to pull the trigger yeah. or not? We got there within seven hundred words. Yeah, yeah, and not only got to that point, but like he slipped in the potential of him having a personal reason to assassinate this guy, not just assassinate. You know, it's something to do with his girlfriend or wife or something. Mm. So he's he's just put a, a lot in there in a relatively short space of time, which I think is a sign of, of confidence. Um, and, and, and it's, and I, I like the title baby Hitler's cause it's almost like a, just a, a general label of describing what are the things that you can look for in any life that started something off in the wrong direction. Like, would yeah. you go back and you'd, you'd, you'd assassinate your own baby Hitler's in your life, you know, the, yeah. so I, I, I can see why that would work. So, so I, I was very intrigued. So, all right, that's great. You're intrigued. What, uh, what, this is a moral dilemma, and you are the moral dilemma guy on this show. So, what would you do? Well, would I actually uh, assassinate hmm. uh, actually baby Hitler? Hmm. No, I don't think I would. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe I'd wait till he was uh, 15 and I'd shoot him. Wait, wait till he's at a, at a party. Oh, that's a, a dreadful, time. dreadful answer. <laughs> okay, let's make it 18. You'll be just going to his first opera, and maybe then. But baby, mm, got to draw right. the line somewhere. Oh yeah, you've got to draw the line. That's absolutely right. Mm. Let's see uh, where everybody else is drawing the line. Oh my goodness, mate! Look at that. That is a seventy. That's pretty decisive. Oh no, it's not. It's seventy-one. <gasps> wow. Oh. Well, I think. I think. Um, you've got to you've got to be the clear winner actually Matt let's have a look at the genius rooms right title of 65 kind of yeah all right uh, blurb not wild about the blurb craft like that a lot what other people have been saying and commercial buying pretty good too so um, I think I think guys let's have a good scorecard first yeah so it looks like Matt moved in from uh, from final position and it's kind of cleaned up there actually um gosh I, rather disappointing jeff sorry about that because actually if you look at your score you did do as i thought you would do which is you tied with jay and i was getting ready to do that difficult thing that happens it does happen occasionally not very often when we've got two winners um but then matt moved in and it's all kind of it's all kind of different <laughs> Congratulations, Matt. You dark horse, you. 
I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the show today. Thorough, well, I always do in any case, actually. That's not to cast aspersions at previous shows. It's just been so interesting. <laughs> it's been great having Peter, Peter here. Uh, Johnny, always, always great value. And uh, I just, you know, the comments today in the Genius Room, particularly on YouTube, brilliant, actually. I've written down a lot of them down, actually. Definitely going to check out their new author, to me. Um, and what have we got? Oh, I don't know who that's from. It's gone. <laughs> it came and it went. Uh, <laughs> such is the, the nature of life. Look, um, thank you so much, everyone behind the scenes who makes this show possible, as you probably can guess. It isn't possible without a lot of work behind the scenes. I'm talking about you, Kate. I'm talking about you, Emily. And I'm talking about you as well, Rachel. And all our narrators. And most particularly, our writers. Should we do it again next week? Remember, it's Julia Eccleshire, Children's Special. Do join them. Oh, the world's a stage. Welcome to the show. I glance at you, you smile.